Well, we left off last week in Luke's telling of the Christmas story. We are making our way through Luke's version of the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel had visited the old priest Zechariah while he was burning incense in the temple to tell him that his wife Elizabeth was going to conceive and have a child. And this child would be named John, and we would come to know him uh, later as John the Baptist, and that he would be great before the Lord. Zechariah didn't really believe the angel, and so he was struck mute. And when he returned to his home after a week's worth of priestly duties, he somehow conveyed to his wife what he'd seen, what he'd been told, and sure enough, Elizabeth conceived. But for five months, she told no one. She kept herself hidden. And when we last saw her, she was rejoicing and praising God for his goodness to her and removing from her the reproach of childlessness, uh, granting her this baby. Our scripture today describes another scene in the story, one that's taking place concurrently with Elizabeth's pregnancy. In fact, that's the context that Luke gives us, it's in the sixth month, that is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy as little John the Baptist is growing in the womb. The angel Gabriel, uh, same angel who appeared to Zechariah while he was in the temple, he's, he's busy around Christmas time, Gabriel is, was sent from God again to a city, uh, this time of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Luke is careful in his writing here to note that this woman, and when we say woman, we really mean young lady. Nobody really knows how old Mary was when all this took place, but scholars estimate she was anywhere from 12 to 20 years old. Most put her in the early teens, so you're talking 13, 14, 15, maybe. Um, but Luke is very careful to note that this woman, Mary, to whom Gabriel appeared was a virgin. The description is used three times in eight verses so that there could be no doubt. This young woman whose name is Mary had never had sexual relations with a man. Matthew, in his account of the Christmas story, which gives us a little bit of Joseph's perspective, points out that this is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So Mary's engaged to a man named Joseph, who was an ancestor of Israel's great king, David. That's also another significant piece of the puzzle here, um, because it was through King David that God had said his Messiah would come. So Luke is sort of front-loading this story so that it's all going to make sense as he continues to, to convey the an orderly account of the life of Jesus. The angel comes to Mary. How or where, we don't know. Last week, we sort of got to visualize Zechariah in the temple doing his thing, and all of a sudden, an angel appears. Here, we just know that the angel came to Mary. We don't know when or where or anything like that. We do know that the angel comes bringing a greeting. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, is what the angel says. Now, that sounds to me like a pretty happy greeting, right? That sounds like a pretty non-threatening greeting, but Mary's response was that she would be greatly troubled. The Greek root word here means to disturb wholly, to agitate uh, with alarm. In other words, Mary is really shaken up 
by the appearance of this angel to her. And as many, uh, any of us would be shaken up as well if we were under similar circumstance. I don't know if any of you have ever seen an angel. but <laughs> I have not, and I think I would be greatly troubled if I did. So she's trying to discern, Luke tells us, what sort of greeting this might be, which might be a nice way of saying she's wondering if she's lost her mind, if she's hallucinating, if she's dreaming, what is going on here? And the angel said to her, well, guess what did the angel say? What do all angels have to say? Don't be afraid. It's okay. Why not? Why is it that she should not be afraid? There's no need for it. The angel says, because you have found favor with God. So what do you think it means to find favor with God? That word translated favor in the original language is one that we're quite familiar with. It is charis, charis, it is grace. So Mary, you have found grace with God. We would actually misread this message from the angel if we thought that Gabriel is saying, Hey, Mary, you caught God's attention because of your good life. Wouldn't that be kind of how we might say, well, you found favor. Well, maybe you must have been doing all the right things. But that's actually not what is being said here. That is not the case. Mary is not the giver of grace here. Mary is the recipient of grace. A good friend of mine regularly signs his correspondence an object of grace. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You and I are objects of grace, God's undeserved favor. And Mary, like all of us who have been chosen by God, who have received him as Lord in our lives, is an object of God's grace. Have you noticed that God routinely chooses ordinary people to carry out extraordinary tasks? Have you seen that as you read through the Bible, that he chooses the ordinary people to carry out extraordinary tasks? And God has selected Mary, to this point, quite ordinary. But she is going to be the bearer of a distinct, eternally significant task. She's going to be a key piece in the unfolding of his eternal plan. And behold, the angel says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay. Is that all? Most of us have aspirations for our children, don't we? But I don't know that we set the bar this high. <laughs> we really just want them to be healthy. We'd like them to be happy. Overall, we want them to be good people. We pray that they will be saved. We pray that they will know God. They will live their lives for him. And if possible, maybe they'll bring us some grandbabies. It's kind of possible, I think, here that Mary and Joseph had talked about such a thing. It's what engaged couples are wont to do to envision their life together and to think about their family and what it would be like. But I bet their aspirations, if they had those conversations, would have been in line with yours and mine, quite modest. Certainly Mary, no one in their right mind, 
would ever expect to have a child who's going to be known as the son of God. Or who's going to be the king of kings. Who's going to rule over God's people in perpetuity. Whose kingdom will never end. We thought last week that Zechariah had a lot to take in. Can you imagine what Mary is processing in these moments as the angel reveals this truth to her? That is a lot to try to get one's head around. And Mary says to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we saw what happened last week when Zechariah talked back to the angel. But this is a different question. When told of the miraculous conception about to take place with his wife Elizabeth, Zechariah asked, how shall I know this? He wanted a sign. He wanted some sort of corroboration, some kind of proof. He doesn't really believe what he's hearing. And how do we know this? Well, because in verse 20, this is what the angel says. You didn't believe my words. So the Bible tells us what Zechariah's problem was. Now, Mary's question is different. It's much more innocent. She believes what the angel is saying. And she's not questioning whether or not it's going to happen. She just wants to know how. How can this possibly be? Because you see, the usual mode of making babies has not happened in her life. She has not been intimate with her fiancé. She has never been intimate with another man. How on earth is she going to have a child? So Gabriel explains, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, this is a story of how God became man. This is the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus. If it is true, which we believe it is because the Bible says it is and because we believe the Bible is the very word of God, then Jesus is both God and man. He became flesh. He lived on the earth. He was an indisputable historical figure, but he was also preexistent. John's Gospel in the first chapter calls him the Word, who was in the beginning with God, who was God, and by whom everything that is came into being. Now Luke tells us how the Word became flesh. He would be conceived of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. And just in case she should doubt if such a thing could actually happen to her, it seems so awesome, so amazing, so extraordinary the angel shares some other great and miraculous news as confirmation that God's plan is coming to pass God's plan is coming to pass what God planned from eternity is coming to be one of my favorite verses on this is Galatians 4 4 it says this but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son when the fullness of time had come. When the time was right. The message paraphrase says, when the time arrived, it was set by God. He set this plan in motion. And the angel shares with Mary a tidbit of confirmation as to the miraculous, supernatural nature of the events that are transpiring and about to transpire. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Did Mary believe the angel? Yes, she believed the angel. And at the same time, here's something she can verify. So she got up quickly with haste, went to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And when she got there, she made herself known. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, when she heard Mary's greeting, the baby that she'd been carrying for six months while keeping herself hidden now leaped in her womb. And the Bible tells us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who came upon Mary has now come upon Elizabeth. And the result is twofold. Number one, she responds to Mary with a loud cry. I don't know what Elizabeth was like in her nature, but I have, for some reason, always had this picture of her as being a woman who is somewhat reserved and keeps to herself and maybe puts her nose to the grindstone, keeps her head down, does the work, serves the Lord faithfully, faithfully and graciously, but not one to call a lot of attention to herself. I don't know if that's right or not, but I, I think it is because I think when the Holy Spirit came on Elizabeth, she could only respond with a loud cry. And that's a bit out of character for her in my mind. In other words, as I said earlier, I think she just had to respond with a whoop. <laughs> and sometimes God just does stuff and the only thing you can do is whoop. It's the right thing to do in the moment. There's a big old woo-hoo going on here. I love to see, I bet you do too, the videos of the soldiers coming home from active duty and surprising their families. <laughs> when, when moms and dads and wives and husbands don't know what's going to happen. Why? Because there is just a pure, overwhelming, genuine joy that takes place in that moment that is captured. And it is, it is beautiful. It is wonderful. Tears of happiness. Loud cries of elation. Nobody is concerned in that moment about what they look like. What they sound like. Like there's no self-consciousness whatsoever. And I think Elizabeth here experiences an uncontainable euphoria, just pure delight. And she expresses it demonstrably. She is filled with the Holy Spirit. She responds with a loud cry. That's the first thing she does. And second, as she is filled with the Spirit, she is made aware of what she could not have otherwise known. And with supernatural clarity, she speaks a prophetic blessing to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Well, how does Elizabeth know Mary is pregnant? And further, how does she know that the child Mary is carrying is the Lord? How does she know He's her Lord. See, God has graciously included these sweet women in his eternal plan of redemption, which by the power of his spirit is coming to pass and is being revealed to them. These ladies don't just have front row seats. They're cast members in a divine production set on the world stage. A teenager 
and her middle-aged relative, plucked from quiet lives and pressed into service for the Most High. <laughs> How unlikely. <laughs> How unusual. How awesome. Now let me take this down a side road for a few minutes. I'd like us to see something in the text that might, I'm going to guess you haven't normally heard as part of an Advent sermon. But because of the times that we live in, I think this is worth pointing out. Because you see, our scripture this morning takes for granted, takes as a given, something that our society no longer does. It'd be very easy for us to read right over this and miss it. And when I say society no, no longer believes this in general, I'm including portions of the church who have deferred to society's view over the view of Scripture. And the issue that I am speaking of is the issue of life. Specifically, friend, when does life begin? When is a person... A person. Is it when a heartbeat is detected? Is it when a fetus can survive outside its mother's body? The Bible teaches that a person is a person at conception. And it affirms the personhood of the unborn. Psalm 139 is maybe the most explicit text on the subject. Here David prays to God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 22, verse 10, another prayer of David to God. On you, God, was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. From my mother's womb you have been my God. You notice David here refers to his unborn self as I as me, as a person, from the beginning, formed by God in his mom, in relationship to God in his mother's womb, in utero, much more than a blob of cells, or as one person once described a fetus to me, a parasite. The Bible affirms the personhood of the unborn child. And in our scripture this morning, we see this. We have two babies in two wombs. Both of them have names. Though unborn, they are people, according to heaven. So we see, we see in the text that upon hearing Mary's greeting, John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And we would maybe read that and go, what's the big deal about that? I mean, babies, babies kick. I've seen many, many pregnant women sitting in the congregation just trying to get comfortable, <laughs> getting the heck kicked out of themselves. 
So what's the big deal? I mean, babies move. And what's remarkable about this is how Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking under the inspiration of that spirit describes what's happening in verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped what? For joy. The baby leaped for joy. He didn't just kick. He leaped for joy. And I know, I know some of you, maybe even some of you here, many will just want to chalk up this interpretation of Elizabeth to, to hyper-emotionalism. Or, you know, she's pregnant, so let's just attribute it to hormones. <laughs> but this is the word of God. And the word of God here affirms personal human activity in utero that the unborn child of Elizabeth and Zechariah experienced the emotion of joy. Oh, that is awesome. And then, of course, we have the fantastic testimony of Elizabeth to Mary that the child she is carrying, the child Mary is carrying. So, so Elizabeth has been pregnant. She kept herself hidden for five months, basically telling no one. So here we are in the sixth month, and Mary has just been visited by the Holy Spirit. So she is in her first month. She is carrying a child who is the size of a grain of rice and calls him Lord. Huh? <laughs> Jesus, in embryonic state, is Lord. So we don't need evidence of a heartbeat. We don't need to have conversations about viability. Jesus could not survive outside his mother's womb at that time, yet he is a person. The incarnation begins with conception. And so as our country once again revisits the debate on the right to abortion, Considers again Roe v. Wade in that ruling. If you believe the press, there's a threat of it being overturned. I pray that it will. This has become such a condemning staple in our society, beloved. It has been around so long that the debates now are largely political and technical. But nobody's asking the more fundamental question, is abortion morally right? Is it just right? And the answer from Scripture is no. No, it is not. Because the Bible teaches the sanctity of life. And life begins, a person is a person at conception. We got two wombs in our text today telling us exactly this. Our text finishes as Elizabeth concludes her spirit-inspired blessing of Mary with a commendation for her faith. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And again, we could ask, how does she even know this? At least according to the words that are in front of us that Luke records, we don't have any indication that there has been previous conversation or any kind of communication. How does... She know how Mary responded to this recent and amazing turn of events in her life. And the answer is it's revealed by the Spirit. It is told to her by the Holy Spirit. And in contrast to Zechariah, who heard great news and expressed his doubt and asked for a sign, Mary believes. 
Blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God has spoken. It sort of introduces a question for us to wrap up with, I think. What do you believe? Mary believes. What do you believe? Do you believe that all things are possible with God and that with God nothing is impossible? this is what Luke is showing us, right? Again and again and again. I think if we're honest, we might say, yeah, we, we, we know that God is capable of anything. And we know that all things are possible with God. And we're good with that. What we worry about is not what God is capable of doing, but more that he might not do what we want him to. Is that fair? It's not that God, yes, God can do anything. My concern is what if he doesn't do my thing? What if he doesn't do what I want? That kind of puts me in the place of God when I think that way, doesn't it? It kind of pretty strongly insinuates that somehow in my twisted mind, I think that I have a better plan than God. <laughs> that I could possibly ever have a better idea than God. Which to me makes Mary's earlier statement all the more impressive. And after she hears what the angel has to say, she just says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Well, that is a beautiful disposition, beloved. When you think of yourself and your place, the speck you occupy in this cosmos, who are you a servant of? Who are you serving? What are you serving? Mary just resigns herself in faith. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And let it be to me according to your word. Let it be. Let it be to me. Her faith and humility here is inspiring and it puts me in mind of another servant. It reminds me of the servant that she is carrying, the one who's yet to be born, who will likewise yield himself to the will of God, who will become the sacrifice for humanity's sins, the savior for many, an example to follow, and proof that having faith and submitting to the word and plan of God is indeed the way to live, and it is the path to life. Father, we pray that you might let us, like Mary, heed the words of your heavenly message and in trust and in faith submit our lives to you. Brothers and sisters, would you stand for a benediction this morning? It's from the book of Jude in the 24th and the 25th verses. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.